Reminding us of how we're to live and what we're accountable for here is Pastor Ed Taylor. God from the very beginning says we don't live by understanding, we live by faith. Because if you wait your whole life for the understanding that will make you finally surrender your life, you're going to wait forever. And so they don't fully know that they're building the tabernacle, that it's all going to speak of coming Messiah. But they are obedient to what they know. And that's what God holds us accountable. We are accountable for what we know. And as God leads us, we want to follow the details too. This is amazing grace. It's a sobering thought that we are accountable for what we know and even what we ought to know, like what God has plainly revealed in His Word. Well, today's Abounding Grace will help us in the discovery of what we're to know. Surprisingly, it's pictured in the tabernacle and the bronze altar. They're described in Hebrews and more fully in the Old Testament book of Exodus. Let's join Pastor Ed there as he begins. Take your Bibles, open them to Hebrews chapter 9 and Exodus chapter 26 as we pick up where we left off. This will be the last weekend that we study the tabernacle because remember in Hebrews chapter 9, the tabernacle and the ordinances of worship for the old covenant is very important. And although Paul said he didn't have time to get into all the details, we have spent now four weeks giving a perspective of this portable tent of worship that was given to the nation of Israel. Now, when you think of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, in your mind, adjust your thinking to see them and view them as a group of God worshipers. Now, while we wouldn't call them the church, they are like us. They would be very similar to us as their devoted life was to worship God. And in their devoted life to worship God, God gave them and instituted a covenant. And what have we learned so far? A covenant is an agreement between God. I mean, covenants are basically agreements between two parties. But when it's used in the Bible, covenant is an agreement between God and those that worship him. So we're looking at the old covenant. And then when we get back to Hebrews, we'll start looking at in more depth the new covenant. And in the Old Covenant, they had this tent. It was a portable worship space. They were, when they were to stop, they'd take it out, build it, and this is where God would meet them, dwell with them, and speak to them. Let's go to Exodus 26, and we'll pick up where we left off last time. And like I said, if you want to continue studying through the rest of Exodus, it's all about the tabernacle, you can do that because we've already done that And all those studies are online. But pick up in verse 31 is where we left off last time. It says, You shall make a veil woven of blue and purple and scarlet yarn, fine linen thread. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. The hooks shall be of gold upon four sockets of silver. You shall hang the veil from the clasps. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there 
behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. And you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the door, verse 36, of the tabernacle, woven of blue and purple and scarlet yarn, fine linen thread made by a weaver. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. God is into the details and he gave very precise instructions of how this tent and the outer court, as we'll see in a moment, is supposed to be built. Not only the materials, but precisely how big, how long, how high, what was to be pure gold, what was to be overlaid in gold, what was to be silver, what was to be brass. Because remember, the tabernacle was a big picture of the coming of Messiah. And all of the pieces pointed to the Savior that was to come. So the veil, this veil was going to separate. Now we're inside the tent at this point. And it's going to separate the priest and the high priest from where the Ark of the Covenant was. Remember the Ark of the Covenant was a box. At this point, it only had the law in it. But what was most important about the Ark of the Covenant wasn't the box. It was actually the lid. And we learned that the lid is also known as the mercy seat. And remember, the mercy seat, while the box was made out of wood overlaid in gold, the mercy seat was made out of pure gold. And that's an important part as we get there. And that's where once a year the high priest would come in and he would offer that blood of the sacrifice on the day of atonement so that the sins of the people would be covered for one more year. And the mercy seat we learned was a true type and picture of the true mercy seat. They weren't to meet God in the box. They were to meet God on the box. They weren't to meet God at the law. The law was actually given to them to reveal their need to meet with God. And they were not to meet in the box. They were to meet on the box. And even today, you meet God. You don't meet God at the law. The law points you to your need of God. And you meet God at the mercy seat as well. That through Jesus Christ, your sins and mine can be forgiven. So in this veil... This veil that's set up is made of the same material as the inner lining as the priest would go in. It's made of blue, and blue speaks of heaven. Purple speaks of royalty. Scarlet, of course, speaks for the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And fine linen speaks of humanity. So think of it. As the high priest comes into the tent, into the tabernacle, and comes to the veil, the very entrance to the Holy of Holies... The very entrance was through this veil, which was a picture and a type of Jesus Christ. And the, the veil is pulled away, no longer needed today, because remember, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible speaks of the veil being torn in two, from top to bottom. Now that veil was in the temple. And as the veil was torn away, and of course the priest went back to make sure they sewed it back up, because they needed it for the separation, because Judaism continued. But for those that place their faith in Jesus Christ, you and I, we get to go right in to the Holy of Holies. We don't go through a man. We don't go through a priest. We don't go through a building. We don't go through a religion. 
you go right through into the holy of holies by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the whole point of Hebrews, if we kept hitting the same point over and over again, is that you have and I have all that we need by faith in Jesus Christ. There is no more to be gained by faith. It's all ours. And you know, the veil reminds us of a choice. There's a choice in all of our lives. We choose one of two things when it comes to God. We can choose to enter into a relationship by entering in by faith, or we can choose a religious expression where we just go through the motions and we send somebody else on our behalf. We trust a system instead of trusting a living God. I guess there's a third choice, and that is some of you are still in a place today where you have chosen just not to have anything to do with God. I mean, you're here, or you might be listening on the radio or online right now, so you're, you're, you're curious. Somebody might have invited you, but in your status of life right now, you want neither religion or relationship. You have chosen resistance or rebellion where you like your present life right now and you don't want anybody telling you what to do. And that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Like, I, I think that's a word from the Lord for someone. Like, that, that's in your head. You're like, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Listen, people tell you what to do all the time. You drove here today, didn't you? And there was a big light. You saw it. There was actually three lights. And the one that said red, you might have blown through all of them but one. But every time you see a red light, it's telling you what to do. So do you yell at red lights on your way to church? I hate you, light. I hate you, stop sign. I hate the law. I, I mean, you don't live that way. Because here's the thing. You choose who to listen to. But people are telling us what to do all the time. And it's wise for us because that red light actually is beneficial. It's actually good for you, the red light. You may not like it. You know, and by the way, maybe far less, you know, maybe most of you love red lights. Maybe some of you don't like the speed limit more. I guess I could say you hate, every time you go by the speed limit sign, you go, I hate you speed limit. I'm gonna go as fast as I wanna go. But you know, that sign's for you. It's a benefit for you. You know, I don't understand how it could benefit me. I'm in a hurry. I gotta get somewhere fast. Yeah, but the person on the other side of the road or the person coming, you know, across at the intersection, the red light's good for you because when they see it, they're going to stop and not hit you. Like mutual, you know, our whole world, our whole world works on mutual submission or mutual respect for one another. So that every time you do listen to the red light, every time you choose to, to obey the red light, you're respecting everyone else that's around you. You're honoring the fact that you're not the only one on the road. And I find it interesting because we live under that condition, but when it comes to the things of God, we just, you know, per proverbially, we just blow through the light all the time. But God's word and God's teaching is here for your benefit. It's actually for your benefit and those around you. To live the way that God designed you. To live the way that God desires for you. And so, yeah, maybe you feel like you don't want people to tell you what to do, but you live in a world where not only are you told what to do, but I'm sure that you tell people what to do. And the greatest response is to choose to obey, to choose to yield, to choose to acknowledge that you didn't create yourself. Because it's far greater than just a red light, isn't it? Life is at stake here. Your eternal life. What will you do with your life? Or better yet, what will you do 
after you die? Where will you go? How will you account for your life after you die? Because you know the reality is, is that all of us will die. And the Bible, the Bible teaches that after death, you just don't cease to exist. You're like, well, you know, I just stop. I just cease to exist. No, no, you're going to have to give to account of your life before God, before your maker. As we learn, was learning on, on our study on Wednesday night, looking at Daniel, we live in this environment with a secular worldview. And the, the secular worldview that we live in is that there's no accountability, there's no creator, so go ahead and do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, because you'll never have to answer to anybody for your life. But that is a view that eliminates God from the equation. And we don't need to be super smart uh, knowing physics and science. We don't, we don't have to be, you know, have PhDs, although some of you do have them and some of you are super smart. But we don't have to be to recognize that we did not create ourselves. Or better yet, you know, you're driving in and you kind of, if you're heading west, especially up here on the hill, you can see the whole view of the Rocky Mountains. You didn't create those. You didn't make those. And whether there's snow on top of them or not, you didn't create the snow. Yesterday we got a little bit of rain. I didn't make the rain. I wasn't up on the roof shaking water on our grass. I was just watching it happen. It was raining all over the place. And it just takes a little bit of common sense to acknowledge that there's intelligent design in you in your body, in the way you're made up, and in your intelligence, in your ability to think. You see, when you think of the tabernacle and these veils, they were always speaking symbolically to the people of God. The color was very important. Speaking of the attributes of the coming of Messiah. When we step back today and recognize that when God he tells them, I want you to build this, the way I tell you to build it. Because I know some of you have emailed me and asked, but Ed, I don't understand the tabernacle. Did they really know that all of this stuff pointed to Jesus Christ? And the answer is no, they had no idea. They had no idea. They just did what God told them to do. And how many times have you been in a place in your life where you don't understand, but you obey instead? You don't understand. How many times we just find ourselves in places like, I don't like this. I don't want this. I don't want to respond this way. I don't understand what you're doing, God. I don't understand why you're allowing this. I mean, I, I get some of the understanding in the Bible, but I, I mean, on a personal level, I don't understand. But God, from the very beginning, says, we don't live by understanding. We live by faith. Because if you wait your whole life for the understanding that will make you finally surrender your life, you're going to wait forever. And so they don't fully know that they're building the tabernacle, that it's all going to speak of coming Messiah. But they are obedient to what they know. And that's what God holds us accountable. We are accountable for what we know. And as God leads us, we want to follow the details too. Pick up in verse 1 now. We've got the different veils. Now we're going to go to the bronze altar. It says, You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be square. Its height shall be three cubits. You'll make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece. You'll overlay it with bronze. 
Verse 3, you shall make its pans to receive its ashes, its shovels, its basins, its fork, its fire pans. All of it's going to be bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze. Network, you shall make four bronze rings as the four corners. You shall put under it the rim of the altar beneath. The network may be midway up in the altar. You shall make poles for the altar of acacia wood. Overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings. The poles shall be on two sides of the altar. You shall make it hollow with boards as it was shown to you on the mountain. So shall they make it. Now you have the picture of what it might have looked like. And you can see it's just a big, a big box where the offering would be brought on an altar. The sacrifice would be offered. And then you've got the poles on the side and kind of what all the basins and everything would look like. And it's all made of bronze. So on the back now, flip it on the other side. Notice the large perspective of the area of the tabernacle as you approached from the east, as you came into the tabernacle from the east into the courtyard area, there was a fence seven and a half feet high. So there was a tall fence around it. It was about 150 feet deep, long, if you will, and then a 75 feet wide, 75 by 150. And the first article that you would come in through the gate there, you'll see, was the brazen altar. And it was seven and a half feet squared, four and a half feet tall, made of wood, but overlaid in bronze or brass. This is where the priest would sacrifice the lives of animals there with blood because it wasn't just once a year. There were sacrifices going on all the time. And if you want to study that in depth, it's all in Leviticus. Leviticus is the book that gives the instructions of all the details of how to worship God in the Old Covenant, on the Mosaic Covenant. Leviticus. So one of them was the daily offerings. They had to bring daily sacrifices, and that's where it would take place, right here on the bronze altar, on the brass. Why bronze and brass and not gold? Because bronze and brass symbolize judgment. This is where judgment would take place daily, on the altar of sacrifice. The judgment of trespass offerings, sin offerings, meal offerings, all the offerings would be offered here where God would meet them. Now, the sacrificial lamb that was given when a lamb was offered, the animals were innocent. Remember, the animals coming were innocent. The lamb never sinned, never made a mistake. Like the animals offered, the animals, I mean, animals in general are sinless. Except for cats, they're full of sin. <laughs> but every other animal is sinless. Any cat lovers in the house? I am not sorry. <laughs> animals were sinless. And they were given in substitute, in substitute for the sinful. There's a technical phrase I want you to learn. You can jot it down. You might hear it as you're reading commentaries, you might be hearing Bible studies, and I, I want you to understand it because it's very important as it points to Jesus Christ. And that is the animal served as a vicarious atonement. Vicarious atonement, which is a fancy way of saying substitution. The animal substituted for the sacrifice of a human being because God didn't ask for human sacrifice. God wasn't asking us to, wasn't asking in the old covenant or the new covenant for human sacrifice. Matter of fact, by the time we get to Romans in the new covenant, what does God require of us? That we become living sacrifices. Not dead, but living. That our lives are dedicated toward him in every area. 
and that we would sacrifice self on the altar. But we have the privilege of living. So the animals coming to the brazen altar over and over again, then once a year, the blood being spread in the Holy of Holies behind the veil was all in substitute for you and for me. And they were pointing to the permanent substitute. Because remember what John the Baptist said in John's gospel, jot it down, chapter 1, verse 29. We learn that John looks at Jesus coming and what does he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And that's one of the big issues with the Jewish believers that Hebrews was written to. Paul, when we get back to Hebrews 9 in our next study, he'll say that the old covenant was perfect and just and good, but it was limited in its abilities. It couldn't change a person. And as they lived in the old covenant, they had to keep bringing sacrifices over and over and over again. Every year, in many cases every day for the daily sins and their daily issues. But in the new covenant, it's one sacrifice forever. Which is very important for the believer today because for the Christian follower, for the follower of Christ, your relationship with God is not dependent upon your performance. You don't have to earn anything from God. Truthfully, you and I, we could never earn anything from God. The gift of life is undeserved. We use a Bible word to describe that. We describe that as the grace of God, that he reaches out to us in grace. And we don't have to bring animals. Like We don't have a bronze altar here. You don't need to bring animals. If you did, we'd send you right back out the door. It'd be weird. You bring a goat up here and it says, oh, it's my emotional support goat. Out. <laughs> We're not sacrificing it. Take the goat outside. I mean, it would be a mess because you don't need to bring. We would sit you down. Hopefully, one of the brothers would sit you down with the Bible and say, we don't do that anymore. Enjoy your goat at home. We don't need to bring it here because you have a walk with the Lord now. He has sacrificed for you once and for all. You don't bring offerings like that anymore. You offer yourself. And so as you walked in from the east, you'd be met with the judgment. As the priest would come into the tabernacle, as you would bring your offer, you would be met with judgment. That's all you could see. It would be right in front of you. It would be taller than you. Depending on how the angle you walked in, you wouldn't even be able to see the tent behind it. You'd be standing in front of the need for the judgment to come upon your sins and mine. And the animal will be offered, that innocent lamb taking the place of the judgment that God would put upon them. Important concept of substitution there, pointing to Jesus, who is our substitute, offered in our place that we could experience grace instead of judgment. More on the tabernacle and what it represents next time when our teacher, Pastor Ed Taylor, returns to Abounding Grace and our study in Hebrews. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. 
Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. We've been blessed in recent months as we hear from people who have called or written to let us know they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We are so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We really want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you answer common questions about Christianity and the Bible. It's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today, 365 Quick Answers to Key Questions. This will serve to help you answer questions about evolution and creation, alleged contradictions, and general accusations concerning the Bible. Answer the claims of cults and ethical issues like abortion or divorce. Again, that's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Our number again, 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it in great ways to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Celebrating 20 years of God's faithfulness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of Hebrews. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.